two kinds of people. As I often try to do, I like to open up the sermon with an illustration, something to think about that will sort of direct our thoughts concerning what Paul has written in Romans chapter 2. And in going in the direction I want to take us today, I, I want to just read for you probably a familiar portion of Scripture. But just as an illustration as we begin today, it comes from Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. It, it's a story that Jesus told. Let me just read it for you. It says that Jesus spoke this parable to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and yet they despised others. And here's the story. Jesus said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, a very religious man, and the other, a tax collector, someone that everybody hated. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Jesus says, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other man. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Think of that illustration as we begin today. Two kinds of people. The more I meditated on the verses that we've read today from Romans chapter 2, the more I read them, the more I can see an attitude between two kinds of people. These two kinds of people, we're not talking about people who live somewhere out there in the world. I'm talking about people who may be here right now in this sanctuary. You might be one of two kinds of people. And in what Paul has written here today, I believe that there are three scenarios that he talks about where these two people enter into. And their attitudes are different. But in these scenarios, in other words, he's going to talk about the scenario of how people often judge other people in a condemning manner. He's also going to talk about the scenario of repentance. And last, he's going to talk about the scenario of that final judgment before God. And I believe that the Holy Spirit not only reveals to us two kinds of people in these scenarios, but I believe in our text today, he reveals to us the kind of person we ought to be. And so as we discuss these things today, make it a constant question that you have in your heart. What kind of person am I? Am I a person I ought to be before God? Or am I something different? And today, as we consider this topic, I've broken this up into three points here today. Number one, speak to me. Number two, walk with me. And number three, let me see. And I hope 
by the end of today. These are what you say with a whole heart of sincerity to the Lord. Lord, speak to me. Lord, walk with me. And Lord, let me see. So let's begin. Number one, speak to me. Let's look at this verse again. Verse number one. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, you practice the same things. You do the same things. Now, what is Paul talking about? These things, those things. Do you remember in chapter 1? He talked about what the world does when the world rejects God and the sin that they get involved with. And then toward the end of chapter 1, he had a whole list of things from, from murder to, to lying to, to sexual immorality to covetousness, being haters of God, to gossiping, all these kinds of sins that we find all over the world, even among us here today. And it's almost as if Paul understands that. It's almost like he's, he's preaching these words. He's speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit. And while he's speaking about God's judgment against sin, he knows very well that there are people within the church who like to think that they come alongside Paul while he's preaching, and they say, yeah, Paul, tell them. Tell them, Paul, preach it. Tell them like it is, Paul. And while they do that, Paul looks at them and says, yeah, I'm talking to you, too. I'm talking to all of you. There is one kind of person who can listen to a sermon like last week, who can listen to a sermon about the wrath of God, and God's anger against sin. And while that person is sitting in the seat listening to these things, the person is looking this way and looking that way and wondering, who is Pastor Heath talking about today? Because I know it's not me. He must be talking about Frank. Because I know what Frank has been up to. He must be talking about Phil. Because I know something about Phil that nobody else knows about. You better listen up, Ronald. You better listen up, Hannah. Listen to what he's saying because I think he's talking to you. Preach it, Heath. Tell him all about it. Do you know I've been in churches before where the pastor has preached the sermon, the service ends, and then people remain in the sanctuary and they get together in their groups and they talk about the sermon. And I've overheard groups of people saying things like, oh, did you hear what the pastor said today about gossip? Oh, I hope so-and-so is listening. Oh, do, do you think they heard? Do you think he knows? Do you think the pastor was talking to so-and-so and this person? It makes me want to lean in and say, hey, I think he's talking to you. But so often we can sit in these chairs, listen to a sermon, and say, he must be talking about someone else here because he's not talking to me. And we begin to look at each other in judgment and condemnation. A long time ago, I was in a, a high school class. I took French, another big mistake in my educational career. But in my French class, I was in ninth grade, never did my homework, never studied, failed most of my tests. They passed me because of mercy. But one day in my classroom, Madame Din 
my professor, took a moment to scold me in front of the whole class. And she was telling me about how I never do my homework, I never study, I, I'm just a foolish student, and I'm always going to fail in my life. And while she's saying to that, there was a girl in the front of the class looking at me at this as well. I don't remember anything about her except her name was Jessica. That's all I can remember. And while Madam Din is scolding me, Jessica's looking at me and saying, yeah, Heath, why don't you ever do your homework? Yeah, Heath, you're such a failure. Yeah, Heath, you always, you always mess up. Yeah, Heath, yeah, Heath. Until finally I got really mad and I said, shut up, Jessica. You're not the teacher. And to that, Madam Din yelled at both of us and said, Jessica, he's right. You're not the teacher. In fact, you need to be aware of your own faults. To which I went something like. <clears throat> but what Jessica did is what so many of us do. It's as though I might be preaching God's word and I talk about certain sins in life. And maybe you, at least in your heart, you're looking at someone else saying, you better be listening. He's talking to you, Ina. He's talking to you, Leah. You're the guilty one. You better understand what's going on here today in the sermon. You know what Jesus said? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Judge not, lest you be judged. And he gave the example of someone who thinks they can help somebody else. And he says that when you go to someone who may have a speck in their eye, and it bothers you so much, and you think you want to do something about it, and you can do something about it, you go up to them and you try to help them, but what you don't realize is the huge plank that's sticking out of your own eye. So Jesus said, before you even think you can help someone else, why don't you take care of you first? Why don't you take care of your own plank, your own sin, your own failures, your own faults? And once you learn to be humbled, then maybe you'll learn how to minister appropriately to somebody who's in need. Paul is talking about sexual sin, whispering, lying. And we might say, yeah, I know somebody who's in sexual sin right now. I know an adulterer. Jesus says, good. Are you an adulterer? Have you committed adultery? Because Jesus says the moment you think of these things in your heart, you've already committed adultery. We speak out and say, yeah, Paul, preach it to the whisperer. Preach it to the gospeler. Do you gossip? Do you talk about people? Preach it to the liar, Paul. We hate liars. Do you lie? Do you lie to your spouse? Do you lie to your children? Do you lie to your workers or your customers? Do you lie to the government? We are so quick to judge. All of us, me included. We are so quick to judge. And how many times do we think, oh, I know what I'm talking about. I know what's really going on in that person's life. We think we know what's going on, and we, ended up, we end up saying something that's normally stupid. We judge. We're so quick to judge even when we don't even know all the facts in a person's life. Don't we? I'll give you an example, because we're not just talking about sin. It could be many things. A society can judge another society. A culture of people can judge another culture of, of people. 
How about in the last couple of years with this topic called COVID-19? You think there's any judging going on with this disease? I can tell you there's a lot of judging going on. And let me warn you about this. If you love to watch YouTube and you love to listen to media on social platforms, whatever it might be, yes, it can be informative, and yes, we want to keep up with what's going on in the world, but if you become addicted to it, you know what it is? It becomes a breeding ground of judgmental ideas against other people. You know, when I went to America last year, I found out how quickly people, including me, how quickly we judge others based on what they think about COVID. I go to America, and if somebody is wearing a mask, they are judged as being a certain political party, they're judged as of being afraid, they're judged of being a sheep that does whatever government tells them to do. And the people who don't wear masks somehow are all Trump voters. Don't know how that happened. They don't care about anybody. They're rebellious against government. And I found out really quickly, everybody's judging each other. They judge you about whether or not you get a vaccine, whether or not you get a mask, whether or not you wear that mask in a public building or outside. We judge, we judge, and we judge. And when I got to America and I saw a whole bunch of people walking in the mall where you're not made to wear a mask, and yet people are, oh, how many times, Hira, did I say to you, I bet you I know what political party they're from. I bet you I know what views they have in life. I bet you I know who they voted for. I bet you I know how scared they are. I did the same exact thing. And then I felt like the Lord spoke into my heart. And he caused me to ask myself some questions. And I want to encourage you to ask yourself these questions the next time you want to judge somebody. Question number one, do you even know that person? Do you even know what they've gone through? Do you know what kind of struggles they've been through all through their life to bring them to where they are today? When I saw somebody with a mask and I wanted to sort of judge them, I thought to myself, imagine if I got to know that person and that person told me that their husband died of COVID. Oh, how proud of myself I would be if I judged that person for wearing a mask. Do you know what it's like to walk five minutes in somebody else's shoes? You don't. You don't. You don't. Therefore, do not judge others. Don't do it. That in itself is sin. The next time you want to judge someone, ask yourself those same questions. And hopefully you'll come to the conclusion, maybe I should just shut my mouth. You know, people went to Job. And they went to him. His friends went to him. And instead of helping him through his misery of losing his children and his health and his business, instead of comforting him, they said, oh, Job, what have you done, Job? God doesn't just let these bad things happen to good people. Job, you must have done something. Job, your children are dead. It must be because of something you did, Job. Do you know what Job said to them? He said, if you would just simply shut up. Just try it. Shut up. If you would shut up, that would be your wisdom.
And I wonder how many of us need to practice wisdom and learn to shut our mouth. Amen. After today's sermon, if you want to go home and get ready to tell your spouse, hey, I hope you listened to what Pastor Heath said today. Maybe you can't wait to tell your children about what these things meant today. Or, or maybe you can't wait to attend the next Connect group and say, I, I hope you're all listening. Before you do that, your attitude should be, Lord, today, right now, speak to me. Speak to me. Reveal my sin. Reveal my mistakes and my failures. Reveal why I fall short of the glory of God. Lord, speak to me and help me deal with my own heart before I think I can help my wife, my husband, my children, my friends. There is one who will hear a sermon and immediately look out at other people. But there's someone else, when they hear a sermon, they learn to look here in their own hearts and say, God, speak to me and reveal my heart to me. Speak, Lord. I had a young lady of our church, one of our sisters, she shared a testimony with me this past week, and it's not the only time she has said this. There are several times the same sister in church tells me the same thing. And she just wrote to me and she said, Pastor Heath, last week I prayed that God would speak to me, speak into my heart. And when you preached your sermon, God spoke to me, and God revealed things in me. And I said, praise God, that's what he'll do if you will say to him, Lord, speak. If you say, Lord, speak to me, God will come and speak comfort to you. He will speak counsel into your life. And he may very well show conviction in your heart, reveal sin in you, and cause you to be convicted of it. But if you will open your heart today, God will speak. And I can promise you this, I assure you, every week when I am planning a sermon, the very first person I preach to is myself, always. I say, God, here's what I'm about to say to my church. Am I being hypocritical? Am I allowing you to speak in my heart? Have I judged in the ways I should not? Do I look at people in a condemning way? Oh, God, forgive me of such sin. Paul also says in verse 2, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Truth. Do you know one of the most common words Jesus used for the religious people who acted so holy, but in the secret they were not? Jesus often used the word hypocrite. Hypocrite. That word comes from a Greek word that means to play an actor on stage. We all know what that is. To pretend to be someone that you're not. That's what a hypocrite is. And so, when we look out and we judge people and we pretend to be holy and good, we pretend that there's no sin in us, we may fool people, but you will never, ever fool God. Never. God knows every actor on the stage, and he sees right through your costume and your makeup. And when God judges, he judges in truth. He knows what's truly in your heart. 
And do you think this, O man, verse 3, you who judge those practicing such things and you doing the same, do you think you will escape the judgment of God? There is hypocrisy in our judgment of others. And it will be found out. It will be. And not only will it be found out, but God will judge us for such hypocrisies in life. There was a man named David, King David in the Old Testament. One day, David, while all his men were out fighting a war, David was out and saw a woman bathing, and he wanted her. That was already somebody else's wife, by the way, but David didn't care. He had her brought to him, and he slept with her, and then she got pregnant. And so David quickly tried to get her husband back home from the war. He tried to cover things up, and he told his hus to the husband to go back to your home and spend some time with her, hoping that after they were together and then she's pregnant, well, then they can fool everybody by saying, it's the husband's child, of course. But the man who was so loyal to David, so loyal to his fellow soldiers, would not go home because he's a soldier, and he belongs on the battlefield. So that plan didn't work. Finally, David sent him back out into the war and made sure that this man was in the front lines. And when they fought the battle, the man died. And David made sure he died in battle. David murdered her husband. David lied to everybody about what had happened. And David committed adultery with this woman. But now the man is dead. He takes the woman in, he marries her, and they have a child. And nobody knows anything. Is David free? Did he escape judgment? No. A prophet came to David and he said, King, I have to tell you a story. There's a rich man and a poor man. The rich man has so much livestock, but there's a poor man that only has this little lamb. And that little lamb has become like part of the family. It's like his own little child and all the kids play with the lamb. And it's all that he has. But the rich man had a guest come to his house he didn't want to kill any of his flock, so he stole the poor man's lamb. He took it, killed it, and fed his friend. Do you know what David said in judging that situation? He said, go get that rich man. He shall pay back fourfold what he stole and then kill him. What he has done, he is worthy to die. Great judgment, David. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are the one who stole something that belonged to somebody else. That's you, David. And David did not escape that judgment of God. The child that they had died, and David's heart was broken in misery and in his sin. And that's what finally led him to repentance. When we judge, God is watching. When you want to condemn somebody else, you've heard it often said, when you want to point your finger at somebody else and condemn them, just remember you've got three fingers pointing back at you. For every time you judge someone, you are the one that's being condemned. The next time you want to say that person is sinning, remember you yourself have sinned. They need God's mercy and so do you. So today, Lord, speak to me. I need to hear your word today. I need to have my heart changed. Amen. Number two, 
walk with me. Verse 4, or do you despise the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? There's one person who embraces the goodness of God, and there's another person who despises and rejects the goodness of God. What is the goodness of God? Well, we go through it every single day. But if you want the perfect picture of the goodness of God, then just think 2,000 years ago when a son of God came into this world to give his life for us. When all the people around Jesus, for whatever reasons they had in their own heart, they wanted to do what was evil. In their hearts they planned evil and murder. And yet God took all of that evil and murderous minds of men and something good came out from the cross. And that is the forgiveness of our sin. That's God's goodness toward us. God is good in that he gave us his only begotten son to die for us, that we may be forgiven through him. Forbearance. That means that God has refrained, refrained from punishing you. He could have already. He has not done it. When Jesus was arrested and his disciples wanted to put up a fight, he told them not to. And he said, don't you know right now I could call upon 12 legions of angels to come right now and rescue me. And those angels would put an end to all humanity. But Jesus never called upon those angels to come. He refrained from doing such a thing. Aren't you thankful? And God is long-suffering. He's patient. And oh, how he is patient toward us. And we need to remember just how patient he has been with us. When we think of God's goodness, how wonderful he has been, this should lead us into his presence. When I think of Jesus leading us, we ask him to walk with us and lead us by the hand, just like there was a blind man. I love the story of a blind man. He needed to be healed. And so Jesus came to him, and instead of healing him right there on the spot, the Bible says Jesus took the man by his hand and he led him out the city. And that's all it says about that walk. But I wonder what was that walk like for that blind man being led by the very hand of God? What was that walk like? Did they talk to each other? Did the blind man tell Jesus a little bit about himself? Did Jesus tell him anything about what was about to happen to him? I don't know. But to me, I love that story where Jesus took him by the hand and led him. And so when we come together before God, we should also say to the Lord, Lord, walk with me. Take me by the hand. Reveal over and over how good you have been in my life and lead me, as you promise, to that place of repentance. Take me by the hand, O God. Lead me once again to that place called Calvary where Jesus died for me, where I am forgiven of my sin. When you consider the goodness of God and that he's willing to take you by the hand and lead you to that place of forgiveness, oh, what a wonderful God we have. On the other hand, there are people that I know who have stopped coming to church and when I've asked them, hey, where have you been? They said and admitted outright 
I am sinning in my life right now. And if I go to church, I know God is going to convict me of my sin. And I say, and you are what? Trying to run away from that? That makes no sense to me. Makes no sense at all. But there are some who don't want to listen to that calling of God, who don't want to be led by God's hand. They do as Paul has said. They are suppressing the truth of God, and they are pretending everything's fine. No need to change. If only we knew the goodness of God and the grace and the mercy that is found in God. If only we knew what it was like that when God says, come into my throne room, come now, and you will find grace and mercy in your time of need. If only we would take God up on that and do exactly that. Run into his presence and find grace. Paul says in verse 5 and 6, but in accordance with the hardness of your heart, your impenitent heart, you refuse to repent. You refuse to be made softened by, the, by God. You are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, which is to come, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Listen, if you refuse to repent, you refuse the goodness of God and the mercy of God, one day you will stand before God Almighty and he will judge you for your deeds. He will judge you for your sin. And you know something about your sin? Your sin doesn't just affect you. It's like taking a stone and dropping it in the water. If you were to take a stone and drop it into a lake, what happens? It causes a ripple effect. And that ripple effect will go far and wide, and it'll go on and on and touch the very banks and the edges of that lake. When you sin, your sin doesn't just affect you. You cause a ripple effect and your sin will spread and it will destroy the lives of people around you. And you will give an account not only for what you have done, but for what you have done to others because of your sin. We need the goodness of God. Oh God, walk with me. Walk with me and take me by the hand. Number three, let me see. Let me see. Now you might be saying, wait a minute, you keep talking about judgment. I thought we already talked about the fact that we don't have to face judgment. I thought that's what Jesus saved us from. You're right, he has. Remember, Paul says that in the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And he also says that God justifies you, not guilty, as you live from faith to faith. Yes, It'll always be true. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus says, if you believe, you will not go to that judgment. You will not. What judgment is he talking about? There is a final judgment called the great white throne judgment where God will raise the dead, the wicked dead, and judge them for all eternity for their sin and cast them into the lake of fire. That's the judgment that is not for the children of God. Praise the Lord. But even we as Christians, we do have to face the Lord in judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us who love Jesus, who are saved by faith in Christ, one day we will appear before Jesus at his throne. And he will judge our life as we lived it for him. And so with that in mind, there are those 
who are looking to that day. There are those who can see it already, the day that they will stand before Christ. And they live their life today knowing that one day I shall stand before my King. And then there are others who say, there is no judgment coming. No judgment's coming. Nothing to worry about. So Paul says, here's what happens to these two kinds of people. Number one, for those with faith in Christ, there is eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Now don't get nervous because Paul is not saying right now, if you do good, then you'll get eternal life, although that might be what it looks like. That's not what he's saying. You always have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Interpret this verse in Romans with all the rest of Romans. Paul has already told us that by faith we are saved and made righteous. So what's he talking about here? Eternal life is given to those who patiently continue in their faith and trust in Christ. And who does this? The people who are saved by Christ. And as a result of that faith, we seek to do good in this world. We don't do good to get saved. We do good because we are saved. And we know it's what pleases our King. We do good. And as Christians, we live in the reality that we will face Jesus one day, stand before His throne, and we want to be ready for that day to come. So in the light of that truth and hope, we serve and honor our King today, for tomorrow we all must appear before His throne and give to Him an account of the life that we led and the life that we lived for His name. But then Paul says, there are those who are not seeking those things. Instead, there are those who are self-seeking. Self-seeking, they, they do not obey the truth. They, do not they, they obey unrighteousness. And because of that, what's left for them but indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. These are the ones who do not even consider judgment. They're not even thinking about it. Because remember, they're pretending there is no judgment. They pretend there's no judgment so they can keep on living in the sin that they live in. And one day, they will face God at His great white throne. Paul concludes it by saying, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Whoever wills to come can come to Christ, no matter where you're from or who you are. We can come to Christ. We must come to Christ to be saved. And in the end, there's glory because we will be in His presence. There is honor at the throne of Christ, and there is peace forevermore. Paul, in the book of Corinthians, he says to all the Christians of the church that we, we are to seek to be well-pleasing to Jesus. If you're a Christian today, you should be seeking to be well-pleasing to Jesus. Why? Because Paul says, for we all must appear 
before the judgment seat of Christ. And knowing that that is coming, we want to do well in this life. And we want to run in our faith for the Lord. So today we should be saying, Lord, let me see that day. Not just in the future, but even now. Let that day where I stand before Jesus, let it be forever in my mind. Every day, let me consider the fact that one day I will stand before Christ. And if that is true, then, oh God, help me today to live in honor of Him. Because one day we will see our King and give an account of our life. And let me close with this. A few weeks ago, I asked all of you to pray for my friend. His name was Tunde. My wife and I, my family knew him when we lived in Delaware. He was a part of our church. He loved my whole family very much. Tunde was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in October. And the day after we prayed for him, he passed away. But we rejoice because he's at that throne right now. But Tunde was such a special man to me. I remember him praying for us in 2011 when we were ready to come to Indonesia. Many people prayed for us. I only remember his prayer. I only remember his words. He was such a wonderful man. He was from Nigeria. In fact, Tunde was one of the co-authors of the national anthem of Nigeria. He's a brilliant man. He was in chemical engineering. He became the dean of one of the greatest colleges in America for engineering. A brilliant, brilliant man. So successful. Many people know him and loved him and so many accomplishments in his life. A couple of days before he died, my uncle, my wife's uncle that lives in Delaware, went to go see Tunde because they know each other. And according to my wife's uncle, who's a very smart man, he says, Tunde is the smartest man I've ever known in my life. But my uncle went to go see him and sat by his bed. And Tunde said to my uncle, of all my accomplishments, my degrees, my successes, of all the things I've been able to do in life, right now, it means nothing to me. All of it right now in my mind is worthless because in a few moments, I'm going to see Jesus. And I know that when I stand before his throne, there's only one thing I desire so much to hear from him. And that is, Tunde, well done, good and faithful servant. And a couple of days later, Tunde was in the presence of God. And I said that to say this, that should forever be our desire in our minds every day. We will see our king one day. And we want to hear those same words. Leah, Ronald, Ivana, Frank, I could say all your names. For him to say, well done. You were good and you were faithful to me. Well done, my servant. That's the desire of our heart. Oh God, speak to me. Me. God, walk with me. And God, let me see that day that is soon approaching. That should be our attitude. Amen? Amen. Sister Hannah, musicians, would you come? Let's close today by partaking in communion with the Lord. Do you know this sermon today has everything to do with communion? Why is that? Because Paul says 
that when you come together for communion, you are to examine yourself. You. This is not the time where we kind of look around the room and try to figure out who I'm preaching to today. At this moment in time, as we consider what the Lord has done for us, Paul says, examine your heart. Your heart. And ask yourself today, I know Jesus died for me. Why did he die? Why did he die? And I pray as you ask that question, perhaps God will reveal your heart to you and your sin. And I pray that the Lord will begin to touch your heart even now and work in you in a very loving, in a very good and compassionate way. God, as we are ready to partake of communion, I pray, oh God, that you'll help us right now not to look around, but to first look up and to see Jesus sitting on the throne, our Lord, our King, our Savior, our God. And gazing upon his glory and his beauty and his majesty, then we say like the prophet Isaiah, woe is me. For I am a man of sin, of unclean lips. God, when we consider the glory of our Savior, we can't help but see that we are sinners and we are in need of forgiveness, of salvation, of cleansing, and of healing. So God, right now, as we remember that you died for us, help us to ask that question. Jesus, why did you die for me? And as we do, I believe we'll begin to see that sin that may still be so evident in our life. Work in us, oh God. Work us to cleanse and to forgive and to set free. Break chains that so easily bind us. Loosen the weights, oh God. And I pray, Lord, that today we are not standing or sitting next to each other in judgment or in condemnation toward one another, we stand in unity because of what you have done for us. Equally, we all need you. Equally, we are all sinners in need of mercy and grace. Thank you that we find it in Jesus Christ. 